Well, so Jonah is now back on dry land. Um, the fish spewed him up on shore. Uh, but when God speaks to him again this time, uh, he's probably, I think, Jonah was expecting him to say to him, all right, Jonah, look, I guess you were right all along. Don't bother going to that enemy city of Nineveh. Just head on home back to the temple of Israel. But unfortunately for Jonah, he hears the exact same instruction as there was in verse 1 of chapter 1. It is, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. The difference is that this time Jonah obeys God. He goes to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, I would love to tell you that the reason Jonah went was that he was now happily on board with uh, God showing mercy to Nineveh. But I'm afraid that Jonah is still just as stubborn as he was at the beginning, just as stubborn as he was when he was inside the fish. And we'll see at the end of this book that right up until the end of the book of Jonah, he still wants the city of Nineveh to be destroyed. So sadly, I think the only reason why Jonah decides to go to Nineveh on this day is that he has no other choice. God won't let him go in the opposite direction. The storm put a stop to that. And God won't even seem to let Jonah die. The fish put a stop to that. And so Jonah has finally accepted that resistance is futile. And so he trudges off to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, we're told in verse 3, was a massive city. It would take you three days to walk from one side to uh, the other. And in case we were in any doubt that Jonah was still salty about being rescued to preach to these Ninevites, we're told that on his first day, all he said in Nineveh was, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Jonah wants Nineveh to be overthrown, which, of course, he assumed meant that they would be destroyed the buildings torn down, roads churned up, enemies tumbling headlong in bloodshed. That's what he was hoping for. However, the comic irony of this story continues with that little phrase there, overthrown. Because that little Hebrew word for overthrown is uh, nephpacht. I think I'm saying that right, nephpacht. Uh, and nephpacht is used in very powerful ways throughout the Bible. It can mean something like a demolition job, which is kind of what Jonah was hoping for, but it can also be used to speak of transformation, of a U-turn, the turning of your heart into a new direction, of repentance. And so to Jonah's shock, it turns out that his prophecy was wrong. Nineveh will be overthrown, but not in 40 days. No, the overthrowing happens right there on the spot. Because in verse 5, we're told that then, as Jonah spoke, the people of Nineveh believed God. We're told that from the greatest to the least of them, there was a huge U-turn in their hearts. A nephpacht was taking place in their hearts. Everything is overthrown, just as Jonah had said. They throw off their garments and they dress in sackcloth. They throw dust and ash in the air and cover themselves with it. They throw away their food and their drink, and they fast. It sounds weird to us, but it was a typical ancient practice of mourning. A people group who were distraught or terrified, who were remorseful, they would fast, they would dress in itchy sackcloth, they would sit in the dust and throw it over themselves and cry for mercy. Nineveh has been overthrown. They have overthrown their evil ways. 
because they believed that God was going to punish them. And we're told that when the king of Nineveh hears of Jonah's message, he issues a royal decree. He says, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. See, on top of all their mourning, the king orders that everyone turns from their evil ways and their wrongdoing. Do you remember what their evil ways were back in week one? The, they used to cut off their uh, enemies' tongues. They used to uh, cut off both legs of soldiers in the battlefield and one arm so they could shake their hands as they bled to death. They used to go back into the cities with the decapitated heads of the soldiers and give them to their loved ones and make them parade through the streets with them. You see, the Ninevites had an identity of violence. They were proud of their violent, evil ways, but now they have overthrown their identity and humbled themselves. A new Nineveh is now unfolding. See, I think Jonah would have been gobsmacked to have walked through that giant city and see these once blood-curdling murderers now putting aside their wrongdoing, not just to people like Jonah, but to their neighbours. So the king's decree can just as easily be translated as, let everyone forsake the wrongdoing he plans toward his neighbour. Nineveh is overthrowing injustice towards one another. There is renewal in this city. And it's all because... Jonah preached a simple message of God's impending wrath and judgment. Jonah didn't go in there and tell them to start being kind to one another. No, in his Make Israel Great Again hat, he stood there and said, God is angry at you and you're going to cop it. Jonah the jerk wants to see punishment rain down from heaven on Nineveh. But Nineveh's response is to start doing social justice to one another in their mighty city. And so this is the tension that we find really hard to get right in our cities, in our towns, in our homes, in our hearts too. See, we want to see justice done just like Jonah did. And Nineveh should be held account to account for their wrongdoing. Their limb-tearing, their tongue-ripping, their decapitating ways are evil. Justice should come to them for that. But we also love and cherish mercy and forgiveness, don't we? We want to see people amend their ways. We want to see them rehabilitated. We want to see them start being charitable and kind to one another. That's the feedback that I often get uh, in chapel too. Please stop talking about things like sin and judgment. Just do the charity stuff. Food and toy drive, winter blankets, winter woolies. Do the merciful part to those in need. And that's because usually those who are most concerned about working for social justice and the care of those in need they also usually don't stand up clearly and speak about the God of the Bible's judgment on those who disobey him. And sadly, on the other hand, those who publicly preach repentance and judgment very forcefully are usually not known for demanding justice and mercy for the oppressed. You see, Jonah and Nineveh are at polar opposites in the chapter 3. Jonah wants judgment, Nineveh wants mercy. We want both, but we don't know how to do it. But God does. God alone can do both judgment and mercy. 
Because God is a, a good creator and he made a good world. And so when evil and injustice are brought into his good world through our sin, well, that evil is inherently self-destructive. It, it tears at the fabric of God's good creation. And so our cruelty, our greed, our exploitation of others, that has natural and social consequences. And that's effectively God letting his judgment work itself out through our sin. And so when God's prophets spoke of judgment for evil behaviour, well, that judgment was already unfolding. It was unfolding in the antisocial behaviour that the people inflicted on one another. God's prophets called people to repent from this behaviour and experience his mercy, which is what happens in verse 10. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. The fasting, the sackcloth, the ashes, these were all signs that Nineveh had believed God's message of judgment, and they longed for his mercy. God saw that sign, and he relented. And we find this same sign of a, the perfect mashup of judgment and mercy, of punishment and forgiveness, at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. We're going to think about the cross and Jonah in detail more next time, but for now, we need to remember that in this, our Reconciliation Week, that if we want to see real justice and real mercy done in our world, we need to first accept that we can't do those things together on our own. We need them to be done for us. We need Jesus, the one who lived and breathed the very justice and mercy of God because he is those things. We need him to reconcile punishment and forgiveness together. Because as he was punished for our wrongdoing, he cried for our forgiveness in what he was doing at the cross. Sin was overthrown in that moment. Judgment was done, just like Jonah wanted. And mercy was secured, just like Nineveh wanted. Jesus did justice and mercy, and in rising to new life, he conquers sin and death. And the resurrection of Jesus etches mercy and justice into the eternal body of Jesus. And by trusting in him, we are hemmed into Jesus' grace and truth now. And now we are enabled to act real justice and real mercy together now. See, that's the message that I wish Jonah and Nineveh had heard. And it's the message that I know you and I need to hear each and every day as well.